Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as pastor, professor, and a chaplain, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians to think Christianly about all of life. So on this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today's title is The Sunny Side of Tyranny. Now, we all dispose, dispose, despise tyranny and hope it will stop, uh, but there is a sunny side to tyranny. And so on today's podcast, that's going to be the subject of our discussion as Aaron is going to present 10 reasons why tyranny can actually be a blessing in disguise. And so let's hop in. Aaron, what's one of the reasons why? Yeah, well, I want to uh, wanted to do this podcast because I do think that a lot of people are really discouraged and some are frightened and some are feeling hopeless. And I'm aware of that as a pastor, that many godly people, many righteous people, many people that love liberty and freedom and are prepared to defend it are pretty bummed out at a lot of the things they see. And so I wanted to put a little bit of a different perspective on this. And I want to just start off by saying, obviously, tyranny is not good. Statism and totalitarianism is not good. An antichrist government is not good. And we must continue to speak out against these things and to seek to rebuild cultural institutions, to educate our children and so forth so that they can push back against what we're seeing in our culture. And also because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Anyone who tries to usurp the Lordship of Jesus Christ in areas of life that they've not been assigned authority over needs to be deposed and challenged. However, at the same time, we live in a broken world and the reality is we're experiencing a lot of tyranny. And I just think that there's many, many, many blessings that are coming out of this. And I want to encourage people not to run and hide not to bury their head in the sand and try to avoid thinking about these subjects. We have had some folks that I I know that have left churches, not because they disagree with, like, let's say our stance or the stance of like-minded churches, but they have this mindset, okay, I just don't want to talk about it anymore. I just, I just, I just want to pretend it doesn't exist. I don't think that's mature and nor is it realistic. We have to identify the elephant in the room and speak out against the challenges, but there's so many good things. So the first one that comes to my mind is that when you, when you find yourself as a believer under tyranny and you see how governments act and the the degree that they will go to to try to protect themselves and to subjugate their citizens. One of the great things about this is that it serves to both highlight the depravity of man and the benevolence of God. You know, a lot of people have this weird idea that God is a tyrannical ruler who's kind of a cosmic killjoy. He makes up his rules ad hoc. He He's always trying to rob you of your, your freedom and your delights and your pleasures. And then they sort of look at the governments and the states and they're like, yeah, you know, they, they sort of have our back. They're going to protect me. They're going to pay my way if I'm in debt. They're going to help me through my schooling. They're going to help me with my medical treatments. They're going to 
provide various financial incentives to me to help raise my children. And we have almost strangely a, a benevolent view of government and this ogre-like view of God. I'm not saying all have that. Obviously, it's to varying degrees. But when we see governments in the Western world, a supposedly technologically advanced modern government like we have in Canada and even the in the U.S. acting like they're acting, it, it highlights how depraved and wicked people are. I mean, the conduct of many of our fellow citizens and government and state officials is disgusting where they slap mandates on you and refuse to provide you with one paragraph of scientific information to justify it, where they refuse to even acknowledge protesters, where they come out with masses of police officers who are happily paid overtime and arrest and throw to the ground and break risks, wrists and kick in ribs. It's, it's bad, but it highlights that God is a benevolent God. God's intentions are never to destroy and, uh, you know, just push us down for the sake of pushing us down. Obviously God disciplines, but the, it shows how benevolent and consistent and faithful God is and how wicked the state is. And I think that's a good thing. So, you know, there's there's a challenge in scripture about not trusting in kings and chariots and horses. Well, the the experiences we've had over the last couple of years make that kind of easy, actually. Mm-hmm. We don't trust in kings, chariots, and horses at all, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So that's the first one that comes to mind. Yeah. And it, I think as I look out, it looks like the, the, the dark gets darker and the light appears then brighter. Yeah, it's I'd never, say. it's not changing object obviously god is always objectively mm-hmm. it's kind of scraping back the layer and revealing what truly is about how broken our world is yeah. i was chatting with a a lady and she i was just saying oh our world's so chaotic and she's like that's a kind of weak word <laughs> it's a lot <laughs> it's a lot more than just chaotic <laughs> yeah but what would you say is a second reason uh that tyranny can be there's a sunny side to tyranny well we we tend to be very um interested maybe even addicted to our creature comforts Now, I want to be very clear. Creature comforts in and of themselves can be blessings from God. So there's nothing wrong with preferring a sunny, warm day as opposed to a day full of sleet and hail that's cold. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to, you know, have a cold glass of water on a hot day instead of a lukewarm glass of water. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be able to be free and liberated from tyranny, but the West, Western people have had it pretty good for a long time. Mm-hmm. And we tend to be addicted to our creature comforts. Like we think it's normal. It's not normal to get four, five, six, seven, some people eight weeks of vacation a year. It's not normal historically for middle-class people to retire at 55 years of age and be able to spend maybe 30 years in retirement. That's not normal. That's These are huge privileges that we have. But we live in a culture where we expect to have, you know, the brand new car. You know, people lease vehicles now for as short as six months, then get a brand new, and there's constantly they constantly have a brand new vehicle. Our houses have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, generation by generation. You know, my my dad commented once that his father grew up in a house that was probably a quarter the size of what his children's houses would ultimately be. That that generation, my generation. So it wasn't uncommon for people to raise their kids 
large families and houses that were 750, 800, 850, 900 square foot homes, you know, we would consider small by today's standards. So we have it so, so good. And what tyranny does is it serves to break us of our addiction to creature comforts. And it also forces us to answer the question, would I be willing to count the cost of following King Jesus? Would I be willing to give up a really good paying job? Would I be willing to, on principle, not be able to travel um, to other countries because I refuse to subject myself to to statism and tyranny? I am concerned a little bit that I get the vibe sometimes from Christians that I just wanted to get back to normal as quick as possible so they can get on with kind of being blase Christians. It's mm-hmm. like, I got it. We got to end the mandate so I can travel to Arizona or I, we got to end the mandate so my kid can get back and travel hockey or we, we got to end the mandate so that I can whip up to the cottage whenever I want, or we got to end the mandates because I'm not working as many hours and I'm not contributing as much to my retirement plan. And it's going to delay my retirement. Like, <laughs> These are pretty shallow reasons. Ultimately, we need to be driven by a motive to defend the lordship of Jesus Christ over all of creation. And when we suffer, let's not exaggerate our suffering compared to what some people have gone through. But when we suffer and we take a few punches in the face for Christ, this serves to break us of our reliance upon creature comforts. I think one of the greatest blessings, I've heard people say this, one of the greatest blessings some people have experienced is having lost their job on principle Mm -hmm. because now they know they're willing to count the cost. Some people have said, look, I'm I'm willing to get fined. I'm willing to get ticketed. I'm I'm willing to go to jail on principle. Obviously, I don't want to, but I'm willing to go through these things. It helps us to take our eyes off the things of this world and set our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ so I would just ask everyone who's listening to, to mull over this question. Am I fighting for liberty because I want my creaturely comforts back? Or am I ultimately fighting for the glory and authority of God? You know, there's even a lot of discussion about people moving to other countries. Our church has uh, several families that are um, moving and we're actually supportive of that. Uh, as long as it's properly motivated, we're supportive of that. We plan to sponsor, Lord willing, a church plant in uh, North um, East Texas. So the people that I know that are interested in going there and establishing a church are very godly people and I support them. But I would challenge people to make sure you've done some serious soul searching before you even do that, regardless of where you're going. Are you fleeing because you just want to be comfortable again? Um, You just want to not have to be masked and not have to be forbidden entry to your favorite restaurant? Or are you doing it on the principle, on on a principle, for example, that you're concerned about the safety of your children or you really have a heart to go to a country and warn them of what could be coming their way? so we have to be careful as Christians that we were willing to endure as much persecution as we need to learn whatever lesson is that God wants us to learn. You know, the, the Israelites, um, they, they were so used to, to being enslaved that they made the opposite mistake. So the Israelites were so used to being enslaved that when they 
were miraculously rescued and were in the Sinai Desert and things were a little rough and difficult and they were challenged. They actually preferred to go back to slavery to the leeks and the onions and the garlics Mm -hmm. that flavored their meals rather than fight for liberty and freedom. They wanted a life of ease. So a person can, it's possible for a person to willfully stay in a place of slavery because it's easier in the moment. It's also possible for someone to run away because it's easier in the moment. And when we make those kind of decisions, those knee-jerk decisions, just based upon the momentary afflictions that we're in, we can really miss out on the the lessons that God teaches us through suffering and through, through discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also Christians I've noticed, Chris, that, that seem to be, and I've seen this with pastors and, and lay people alike, that seem to be trying to ignore what's going on. Um, you know, I, I know some people that I would have considered on the ball Christians before this, you know, and every once in a while, something pops up on Facebook or social media and they're just talking about, you know, the new gerbil they bought or, oh, I went, I found a, a new brewery. I love the beer here, or I can't wait for summer. And they're literally like demonstrating zero awareness of what's taking place in culture. They're not, it's all about the day-to-day drivel of life that seems to occupy their time. Meanwhile, we're at battle with the forces of darkness. A Christian who has a passion for the things of God and who is at battle with the forces of darkness is going to be speaking about it, not pretending it doesn't exist by posting, you know, the, the, the picture of the latest puppy dog you bought. We're going to be speaking out against error. So we can't make the mistake. I would say there's three mistakes that people make remaining silent, fleeing before they've learned what God wants them to learn or remaining in slavery because it's easier. Mm-hmm. And it's all, all of those three choices boil down to a desire to maintain what you consider your creaturely comforts instead of counting the cost and standing for the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So I'm, as you mentioned, social media, that just, popped a thought into my head. So I know I've talked to people about how they use social media and some people are more, um, they, they, they strictly just keep it to personal life pictures. And I've actually gone the opposite direction. People are probably annoyed watching my feed because they're like, you never post pictures of your kids and whatever else. And that's partially because of, you know, I don't necessarily trust Facebook and whatever else with those. Um, but what's, I'm curious, what's your strategy with social media or can you speak to how some people maybe use social media only for, I don't know, like a family photo album or something like that? Well, I used to use it more for that sort of thing, but I'm a public figure and it's one area where I can inform and offer some influence over people. So every once in a while, I'll put something goofy or very personal on there, but I primarily use it for ministry purposes to speak truth to the lies and to inform people. Um, I mean, my Facebook uh, friend list is full. So by the way, if you're listening and you've friend requests to me and you're thinking, why is he not responded? Well, you're, you're about 500 people in, in good company with about 500 people because Facebook limits you to 5,000, but those 5,000 and then, um, a couple thousand additional followers. I want to bless them and encourage them. I basically block trolls, uh, by the way, 
I'm just, I'm not interested in reserving space on my Facebook for people that want to act like fools and just challenge and attack. I just, I just block them if they're trolls or statists and they have no interest in learning or growing. But for people who might be encouraged by sermons, podcasts, posts, reposted articles, I don't think that's a waste of time. I think it's actually uh, a benefit to people if you have meaningful content. But I would say, Chris, the people that I know, know that are using their social media for all that I would call the drivel mm-hmm. are the same people that aren't speaking about this issue in any context. Mm. Um, and I understand some people are in occupations where they can't really legitimately use their social media posts to let's say challenge government edicts. <laughs> you might You're be working for the government. <laughs> yeah, you might be working for the government. So there's some wisdom and discretion there. It's not like you have some biblical requirement to have a Facebook account or a Twitter account speak to, to, to evil. But if you're a missionary-minded person and you want to expand your reach and your influence and speak the truth uh, for God's glory, it is a good forum and venue to do that. That's good. Okay, so continuing on with 10 reasons why tyranny can be a blessing, what's your third reason? Well, tyranny forces us to cry out to the Lord to do what we cannot do. The, the, Christian, the Christian is not neither an escapist uh, nor they, so the, the Christian should not just try to escape the realities of the world around them or pretend they don't exist, but nor should the Christian fall into the trap of thinking that we can fix these issues by ourselves. Oh, if we just elect the right person, start the net, the right party, preach the right sermon, do the right podcast, listen to the right podcast, you know, that somehow we're going to fix the world. The Lord uses us. We are his instruments. And we're significant instruments to be used of by the Lord. The church collectively is even called the body of Christ. We represent Christ on earth in his physical absence. But we also need God to do what we cannot do. And so I think tyranny forces us. There's times when I I am confronted with an issue in the church or in a, in the church or in my own life. And as I think through it, I it crossed my mind, okay, I know how to fix this. And I just go fix it, right? I spend the money or take the time or have the conversation or whatever it might be, and the problem's fixed. That's fine. But when you're confronted with the kind of beastliness that we've seen in culture over the past couple of years, so you basically have written letters, you've done your petitions, you've had protests, you've had massive protests, you've spoken publicly, private, you've taught, you preached sermon series on it, you've had multiple conversations, you've been fined, you've talked to officials, you've been involved in political uh, parties, and you still get this sense that we're not substantively advancing our cause, you do have to step back and think to yourself, okay, am I going to be depressed? No, I'm not going to do that. I, I need to do a better job of crying out to the Lord to do what we can't. Because if if ultimately this is about fighting for the glory of God and Christ, when he does what we can, he gets a lot of glory for it. So tyranny forces us to, to not rely upon our own strength and ingenuity and strategies and really positions us for prayer and reliance upon Christ. And who who among us couldn't use a little more of that? Mm-hmm. Well said. And that, I think, as we pray, we kind of catch a God's vision, hopefully, for what's going on, maybe understand it from a different angle. So maybe you want to speak to that in terms of your fourth point here. 
Well, tyranny is one of the necessary tools that God uses to judge nations. We see that all through scripture. Obviously, in the eschatological timeline, God is going to finally judge those that rebel against him, you know, the gogs and magogs of the world. But throughout history, we've seen God judge the Egyptians for holding his people in captivity. God judged Sodom and Gomorrah for their sexual debauchery. Uh, in Isaiah 66, there's a chapter there about him judging multiple nations that had rebelled against him. God sent Jonah graciously to Nineveh to speak out against the Assyrians and their godlessness and wickedness. Fortunately, that's a good news ending. They repented. So God, I, I believe that God is judging Canada. And that doesn't mean that good people aren't going to suffer we're all going to suffer in some respects, but God is judging Canada. What's taking place in our country, people need to realize this isn't even sustainable. So for example, all the stunts they're playing economically, you can't sustain a civilization just with printing money, massive inflation, doubling gasoline prices, doubling food prices. You can't sustain a, a country like that, forcing people to stay home to stay safe so they can't work and meaningfully provide for their family, skyrocketing housing prices. These aren't sustainable. So when you step outside of God's law, God's word, God's principles, you actually create disasters. Even this whole push on you know electric vehicles, there's a lot of questions around that, practical questions about the weight of batteries. What do you do when you're driving from point A to point B and your battery loses its power and the, the length of time it takes to recharge it and the fact that we don't have an electrical grid that will even charge cars. But let's just say somehow we were able to get to a point where we had the most awesome electric vehicle out there that was environmentally friendly and, you know, didn't require uh, the release of as many carbon emissions. I mean, in a, in a world like ours, we acknowledge carbon emissions are necessary in order to have technology. You got to burn fuel in order to get heat and stuff. But I don't think anybody would say, oh, I love carbon emissions. I love the more we can release, the better. I think most reasonable people would say as much as they're suspicious of this whole environmental movement, that the more sustainable vehicles we have, the better. I mean, we like driving vehicles that get 35 miles to the gallon instead of eight, you know? So, but all that aside, are we really so foolish to think that if we all successfully switch over to electric vehicles, that the government's not going to jack the price up to an equal measure? No, they're going to get their pound of flesh somehow. They're going to get their taxes somehow. So the, even when nations attempt to do things that on the surface might seem, oh, that's a good idea. That's good. There, when there's sin involved, selfishness and godlessness and a failure to acknowledge God, they'll even use that which is good. Think about how we have this, compared to historical standards, this wonderful medical system and how much that's been turned into an agent of wickedness to be used against us. Something that we've appreciated, modern medicine has in many respects been used against us. So when you have a godless nation, even good ideas, welfare systems get abused, medical systems get abused, green technologies get abused. It all gets abused. And God will judge nations that pull these kind of stunts and 
uh, try to subject people and rob them of their liberties and freedom. So I think God is judging Canada and frankly, we need it. And clearly the majority of the population hasn't learned the lessons they need to learn after two years. So unfortunately, I think we're probably in for 10, 20, 30, 50 more years of this garbage is what it is mm -hmm. until people have been broken and until they learn the lessons that need to be learned. And it's sweeping the globe. When the Puritans left England, they could identify the shores of North America as a place to go to rebuild. Well, good luck finding a place that's much more than five years or so, um, you know, any more than five years or so behind us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, I think you would agree too that it's not just obviously God's judgment on the nations, but it can be for the church as well in terms of maybe not judgment, but discipline, right? Yeah, tyranny is a necessary tool that God can use to discipline his church. I was reading uh, Hebrews chapter 12 this morning, and I just want to kind of read it to, to encourage, but also to warn. Beginning with verse three, it says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So we're told, we're told to consider the sufferings of Christ, which are unbelievably harsh. Why? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So you observe the sufferings of Christ and the victories that came out of that, upon which our very faith is built and based. And there, there is a sense in which we look at suffering now as something that's redemptive. It can be a blessing. It says, goes on to say in verse four, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So it could get a little worse. And have, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Now, this is where up to this point, it's like, hey, there's redemptive value in, in suffering and frankly, it can get worse and you haven't actually had your life taken yet. But then we also see God's purposes in it. Middle of verse five, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So on one hand, this is all part of the same thought. So on one hand, suffering, suffering like Christ did is, is, is a blessing and great victory and spiritual um, lessons come out of that. When we look at when Jesus' disciples were sitting at the foot of the cross, watching their savior being executed, perhaps some had a little more insight than others, but I can't imagine every one of them on some level wasn't like, this is bad. Like this is bad. This is really, really bad. I don't want this to happen. Well, three days later, things were different. And we now have a resurrected Christ who has become the final propitiation for the sins of the world and all the life blessings and eternal blessings that have come out of that, of which we are even recipients in the year 2022. So that's part of the, the teaching here. But the other part is that God can use suffering to discipline us, to reprove us, to chastise us. And we all know if we've had a few laps around the block in terms of life experience, we tend to learn a lot more as Christians when we're suffering than when things are great. So that's the sunny side of suffering. The sunny side of tyranny is that through the eyes of faith, we see God working behind the scenes. All things work together for the good of those who are loved and are called according to his purpose. We see God blessing us, reproving us. So I've been reproved during this time. 
I've been reproved for perhaps clinging a little too tightly to the things of this world, maybe being a little too concerned about my public reputation, which has probably been trashed, you know, outside of the church. But I know some people appreciate it, but there's a lot of people in high offices that don't like me and um, are upset at what I say. Well, before God, I think I've done the right thing. I'm not not going to apologize for what I think God has called me to, but that's been a lesson I've had to learn. And just uh, realizing how vulnerable we are when you actually think you, you think, man, I, I could be, I could be jailed for lengthy periods of time. I could have all my assets taken away. I, someone could make an attempt on my life. Am I willing to put myself in the crosshairs and the Lord reproves us and disciplines us. So I, I and he continues to discipline us because we're never 100% sanctified this side of heaven. So this is a, a beautiful thing. Don't, don't cut and run. Don't hide. Don't remain silent. Don't return to slavery so that you can avoid suffering. Because if you avoid suffering, you might be avoiding some very beautiful and profound lessons that God wants to teach you. So change your mindset. Start to look for how God wants to refine you as his son or daughter through the suffering that you're experienced, experiencing instead of just thinking to yourself every single day, how do I get out of it? How do I get out of it? How do I get away? From, how do I get freed from it? Learn the lessons that God wants you to learn. This is a beautiful time to be a Christian because we're learning so fast because mm -hmm. every day there's something crazy that yeah. comes out. And in that respect, tyranny is a good, can be a good, not, not in and of itself good, but it can result in some good things. Yeah. Yeah, as I think about that, even the discipline of the Lord, you think, okay, we're called to be stewards of the things he's given us. We're called to be ambassadors of his kingdom. Um, and being an ambassador, the worst thing you could do when you're being disciplined for being a bad ambassador is to be yet a worse ambassador, kind of shrink back from it, right? So, right. And that kind of leads into, I think, your sixth point here. So I, I did I did kind of tip, tip the listener off to this, listeners off to this early on. But I want to kind of dwell on this a little bit. And that is, as I've thought about it, I'm seeing that what tyranny does is it forces us out of silence and avoidance into exposing and challenging the enemies of God. Okay, so let's just acknowledge the fact that we have many different personalities out there. Some people are peacemakers. Some people are warriors. Some people are a little quicker to call out lies some people are a little more reflective. They need a little more time to process things. I get that. But we've had two years, at least, of this experience in this apex of tyranny. There's been a lot of challenges you know, with abortion going on in our country for decades. There's horrible things like that that are even more important, more despicable than the tyranny we've gone through. But um, I, I have this sense and it's, it's based upon my experience, my discernment, 28 years of pastoring, that th most people prefer to avoid or to be silent when they see obvious evil because it's, it's too hard, it's too it makes them too vulnerable. The penalties might be pretty harsh. And so... I've even noticed this in, in the Christian church that um, there are many, many people that cheer on, you know, the, the truckers in broader society 
or pray for and are proud of their fellow workers who've lost their jobs because they want to maintain bodily autonomy over vaccinations, et cetera. And that are like, oh, thank you, Aaron, for being a good example and being willing to be fine and charged. But there's several people that are supportive, but they themselves have risked essentially nothing. Um, they've stayed quiet. They've tried to more or less avoid the issues. You know, they don't go to the protests if they think there might be tickets handed out. They don't show up on the Sundays. They think the police might show up. They don't risk it at work. They just, they, they're silent and they're avoidant. And this is a problem. But the more the tyranny increases, the more people are going to be forced into responding. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, I think some of them will actually side with the enemy because it's easier. But I can think of uh, a few folks, even that left our church, who would say, best as I understood them, that they actually agree with our stance. They for the most part are in agreement with the fact that we've pushed back against the enemy, but they come to a point where like, I just, I don't want to hear it every week. I don't want to, I don't want to be listening to these podcasts. Every podcast is dealing with these kinds of issues. I don't want it creeping into sermons and lessons. I just want normal back. I want comfortable, mushy middle Christianity back is essentially what they're asking for. So it's very interesting to me that some people though, so they're in agreement in principle, but they literally have chosen to bury their head in the sand. Well, you can bury your head in the sand for all you want for as long as you want. At some point they're going to come for you mm-hmm. or your children and you can be silent all you want, but the more culture is getting destroyed um, eventually you'll be victimized as well, maybe more harshly, and there will be nobody left to support you potentially. So once they've chopped the head off the snake, once they've chopped, arrested and fined, executed or whatever, who knows what the future holds, guys like me, who do you think they're going to come for next? They're going to come for the average Joe Blow in the life of the church that chose not to say anything because they just couldn't handle it any longer. So the fight that we're fighting is not fundamentally for us. It's for the broader culture and tyranny forces us to uh, step out of our silence instead of, Oh, I just want to travel. I don't want to hear it. I just, I just want to go to work. I just want to pretend it doesn't exist. You know, it's, it's too stressful. It's, it's, it's too difficult to think about. I mentioned yesterday, I think at our staff meeting here at the church too, that one of the things we need to think about is how how much suffering and persecution our ancestors went through. And comparatively speaking, how weak we tend to be as Western people. You know, these men, there's there's folks that get absolutely exhausted and stressed out thinking about medical apartheid and tyranny for two years because that's all they see on the news. But then we have men even like 75 years ago that were packed up, put on boats and shipped to Europe to fight in trenches and in horrific conditions, four seasons of the year with crummy food to eat, constantly being shot at, being injured. Some of these guys were there for years, but there was, they were, they were people that had, uh, in, and I think the the old Canadians, the old Americans, right? That time when they were raised in a different culture where it wasn't, 
you weren't babied. Like when you were 16, you acted like a man. Now it's like, well, maybe you try to find a guy who's 30 years old. that's acting like a man yet. And it's kind of hard to find. They, they went to work early. You know, they didn't delay their education. They didn't go to school for 20 years and then work for 25 and retire. They worked. They were hardworking people. They had grit. Some of these people lived through the depression. They understood what it's like to literally be hungry every single day. They didn't have social security system systems to rely upon. My grandpa, one of my grandfathers, John O'Brien, his his father died as a result of battle wounds sustained in World War One. So his mom was left with like five or six kids. I think there was six. Now that I think about it, six kids. She worked in a chicken factory. And she would come home and provide for her kids as best as she could. But there wasn't money for Christmas gifts and birthday gifts and, uh, you know, vacation to the sea and a trip to Florida and new clothes every three months and an iPhone. And we live in a soft, weak, somewhat pitiful culture. And people are triggered so easily. They lack so much endurance. Even with mental health issues, I do believe there's legitimate physical mental health issues that need to be addressed with medicine. But I believe many of the quote unquote mental health issues that we're experiencing today in culture are because as Western people, we're so weak minded. Mm -hmm. We're so easily triggered, so easily stressed. We're not, we're not used to actually working by the sweat of our brow. We're not used to going without, we have a, a need to be instantaneously satisfied and even in marriage, people have this glamorous, glorious prince and princess view of marriage. And as soon as that starts to wane a little bit, because they got into a few fights, they bail out. Historic peoples wouldn't have dreamed about doing that. You stuck with it, whether you're angry at one another or not. You stayed in your marriage. Mm -hmm. You stuck with it. You stayed at the same job. You didn't have eight different careers in your life. You got out of school as soon as possible and you went to work and you you worked hard and whether you liked it or not, it doesn't really matter. So my, my wife um, uh, has a Mennonite background. She, she was raised in a Mennonite church and a Mennonite culture. She, she spoke low German as her first language. And as I've spent a lot of time with Mennonite people over the years, cause I just, I adore that, that ethnic group, if you could call it that there's, they kind of represent in many respects, the best of the old ways and one of the things that I've noticed about Mennonite culture, which, which I actually personally value because I think I'm kind of wired like this as well, is they don't complain as much as the people I grew up with. They, they have a job, they go to work, they do what they're told. If the boss says, I want you to go dig up that shrub over there and you spend five hours digging it up and then he changes his mind and said, I've decided I want you to put it back in the same spot. You're just like, okay. And you rebury the shrub. You don't whine and complain and go to your union boss and file complaints with uh, the human rights commission and grumble and post nasty posts on Facebook about your boss. You do what you're told. You, you work hard by the sweat of your brow. And over time you get to advance yourself as well. But we're such a baby babied, babied, babied nation. And Mennonite culture, I think in the more recent generations is probably losing some of that as well as they're exposed to broader Western culture. Immigrants, a lot of the construction industry 
I've heard as I've interacted with contractors and that, that they're, they're going to increasingly, and they are already hiring people from second world countries because these people actually show up on time. Surprise, surprise. Mm -hmm. One of my sons is um, a carpenter apprentice and he frames houses and him and my son-in-law that works at the company from what I been told are the only two guys that actually show up five days a week. The other guys like, Oh, they just don't show up. Like literally they just don't, some of these guys just don't yep. show up. They don't even tell their boss, but because the boss is so hungry for labors, he has to put up with this foolishness and it's a systemic issue in culture. So anyway, I'm kind of rambling on here a little bit, <laughs> it's a good rant. but I, I just want to emphasize the fact that we need to stop this insane silence and avoidance and in the name of comfort and ease and learn to toughen up. If we're supposed to be patient, but there's nothing we have to be patient about, how do we ever grow in that spiritual fruit? If perseverance is a spiritual fruit, but we never have to persevere for longer than three and a half minutes, how can we ever even develop that virtue? Mm -hmm. So we have to go through tough times in a broken world to develop patience and long suffering love and patience uh, and perseverance, I should say. These are all blessings that I think we we all value, but unfortunately, many of us have established our lives in such a way that we don't even have to persevere. We don't have to be patient. We don't have to be long-suffering. Mm -hmm. Well, tyranny certainly also opens our eyes to see, kind of gives us a little taste of what you mentioned, maybe our forebearers experienced uh, in terms of the hardships that they faced. And I'm sure it does it even for those that are existing today, right? Well, there's not a person on planet earth that doesn't come from some people group or doesn't have some ancestor that was run off their land or killed in battle or they, someone tried to kill them in battle or they, you know, they were thrown in jail by a tyrant ruler and their fight, even though we may, we don't remember their names, we don't even have all their situations recorded, have blessed us with the liberties that we have. I mean, we think of World War II, but let's think back 500, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000, 5,000 years ago. There's an emphasis in our culture upon people that come from oppressed people groups, but everybody actually comes from an oppressed people group at some point in time. And what, um, you know, in, in the Christian life, we often think of uh, the voice of the martyrs or people have burned at the stake or had their heads chopped off or were hung because of their faith and we're like, wow, that's a cool story. It would make a good movie. And then we, you know, we're literally watching these movies about people being persecuted and hung and shot while we're eating popcorn because it's just entertainment to us. It's, it's, it's so far back. It's so ancient and historical. That could never happen again today. Well, tyranny enlarges our heart for, um, it, it enlarges our heart for other oppressed people. So we have it kind of rough, but we don't have it as bad as the churches right now in China. We don't have it as bad as the, you know, the, the single Christian living in Islamic Morocco who can't even find another Christian to worship with on Sundays. There's always people that have it worse than we do. And I think that there's a blessing to tyranny because now it helps us to enlarge our heart, to pray more meaningfully, to advocate more meaningfully for them. Uh, just on a really small level, like I, I am super grateful. I've said this before for 
I'm grateful. And in some ways, I don't mean this in a demeaning way, but I'm, I'm kind of surprised how much support we've had from some of our friends in the USA. That's a blessing to me when they, I mean, they have some bad things going on there too. I mean, they're, they're trying to vet a uh, future Supreme Court justice that doesn't even know the difference between maleness and femaleness right now, which is hilarious and ridiculous all at once. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned that because the other day, because it's like, well, we're celebrating that she might be appointed the first female judge or something like that. First black or, female but, judge. Right, that's right. So the first black female judge, Biden has mentioned this publicly. She's the first black female judge. And when she's asked about what a female is, she says, I don't know. I'm not a biologist. Yeah. Like, Come on, like, you're playing a game here. Even though, interestingly, the fact that she refers to biology is a, in a, a, a veiled acknowledgement that bi biology determines your gender. <laughs> True. But True um, point. yeah, but um, anyway, it expands. I, I think what the little bit that we've experienced here in Canada has, in a sense, enlarged the hearts of some of our American friends for us. And it's enlarged our heart for what believers in other parts mm -hmm. of the world are also going through that's worse. So that, again, mm -hmm. how can that be a bad thing? If we hadn't gone through this, we'd still be more self-focused mm -hmm. in our Canadian Christianity. Yeah. So let's talk proactively. What are, what one of the things that tyranny does that helps us to be like doing something better? Tyranny, I think, is forcing a lot of Christian parents to be more strategic in their parenting. And I think that is a wonderful, wonderful blessing. This is this one of the sunny results of tyranny. I have heard countless parents say, you know what? My kids are waking up, sometimes little children. Like they're actually realizing that freedom's not free, that liberty's not cheap, that you have to fight for this stuff. They're looking at their pastor, their parents being fined or losing jobs. And they're like, wow, my mom or dad talked about Christianity a lot, but they actually are willing to lay it on the line for Christ. This is a beautiful thing, mm -hmm. I think. And it's a real lesson. We, you know, we were so privileged in that sense. We never saw our parents go through this, but our kids have now seen us go through this. And I think that's a blessing. It's also the more this woke culture is spreading into our public schools, the more parents are really seriously taking uh, stock of who is educating my children. What are they being exposed to? And so many parents have realized, uh-oh, that the, the pendulum has, has swung so far to the left that it's irresponsible for me to continue to put my eight-year-old in the classroom with, you know, a practicing homosexual that's constantly trying to inundate them with lies or someone who believes in the, the, you know, the critical race theory, these sorts of poisonous theories, uh, lies they, they don't want their kids to be exposed to that. So I, I can think of people who've literally given up, you know, we have a person in our church who is a public educator making good money quit in order to educate the children. And how can that not be a blessing in a, such a beautiful lesson to their children when their parents are like, hey, we follow Christ. Christ is actually Lord. He's actually our king. Really? What does that mean? This is what it means. And they put it into practice. So I think there's um, a huge blessing there. The young people who 
have been forged and formed into the image and likeness of Christ and are really committed to their faith can make a huge difference in the world. We think of Esther when, uh, you know, her, her um, uncle Mordecai and her were lobbying, you know, being wise as serpents to get her into, um, well, to, to marry the king. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, I was going to say to get her into parliament, but then <laughs> <laughs> to, to get her to marry the king. And she was used of by God to rescue and redeem the people of Israel. We think of Daniel, um, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who were very young teenage boys that were put into positions of service. They essentially became technocrats in the Babylonian kingdom and how their bold stand for Christ, whether it was in the lion's den or the fiery furnace or not, not bow, you know, not bowing down or praying in public contrary to the law. This, we have a book in the Bible all about that. Mm-hmm. And they, in their youth, they brought much blessing to God's people and they were a testimony to the world around them. Even when the Babylonian king went crazy for seven years, uh, he was, and then declared the true and living God, the God most high to be the true and living God. It was because of these young people that got it, mm-hmm. that understood it. And that's what we want to see in our children and our children's children. That they will take a bold stand for Christ because they've watched us. So I don't want I don't want to, you know, unnecessarily subject my kids to hardship, of course, but I don't want, I do through eyes of faith, I do want them to experience enough suffering. And I know it sounds callous. This, this is spiritual stuff. This Mm -hmm. is not in my flesh. I do want my kids to suffer enough so that they are prepared to count the cost for Christ. Cause that matters far more to me as a Christian father Mm -hmm. than seeing them just comfortably be able to Oh, you can still play soccer. You can still pay, pay your cell phone. You can still ride your bike on Saturdays. You can still, you know, get your 30 hours a weekend of TikToking. That's not a Christian vision for how we want our kids to turn out. So we have to create hearty children, um, who, who have suffered enough that they're willing to take a stand for Christ. And this provides us with the opportunity to see that happen in their lives. Mm -hmm. So on a pastoral note, Leadership now, we talk about leading, leading your families. This is a question I've always wondered. How do you lead people to suffer for Christ when you're convicted to suffer for Christ, but you're not quite sure with them, i.e. young kids? Um, You know, I have a family of young kids. I think about this often with they may endure suffering, but they didn't choose it, right? And so how do you, how would you... You know, speaking to me, a younger pastor, lead your family into suffering of a sort for the conviction. Well, yeah. well, I think we we do it the same way that we disseminate any other spiritual lesson. We do it with our words. So we talk about it. We process it openly. And that doesn't mean not acknowledging the pain and fear or discontent that you have when you suffer. I mean, we don't want people to think, oh, suffering is great. Suffering is easy. It's, it's a breeze because then it's not suffering. It, it, we should demonstrate that we are, it's, it's hard. Like I, you know, I, I lost some sleep over it. I'm concerned about our financial well being, et cetera. So we talk about it, but then we have to act on it. So when, when our children see us being so convicted that we're willing to still go to church 
when we're not supposed to, that we're willing to stand on a picket line, a protest line and be arrested or charged when we don't really in our flesh want to, when we're willing to reopen the church, you know, repeatedly and be fined and abused when we're willing to see our names dragged through the mud in the front page of our newspaper, that example of faithfulness, it's not for our honor and glory. I, I do sometimes wonder if some people both in the Christian community and outside of it aren't seeking some attention they're seeking a little bit of attention by their quote unquote bold stand for Christ. It's really just attention seeking behavior. I mean, I know I'm, that might seem a little judgmental, but I sometimes I get the vibe that some people, they, they, they have like a martyr complex. They, they want people to see them as, you know, this diehard Christian and in our, we're so broken as humans that we have to even be careful that when we do that, which is righteous and, and godly that we're not doing it for, personal recognition. Oh, look, I got, I got a few more people to listen to my podcast or come to my church or read my books or mm-hmm. pat me in the back. Like if those things happen, that's fine. If the, if the Lord draws people to you and every generation, people have influence and they, people are looking for leaders. That's fine. But if you need it, if you want it, if you pursue it, you're sinning. Mm-hmm. If it comes your way and God chooses to use you for a year or two or five or 10 or 20 or whatever, to wield influence over the Christian community, over culture, so be it. But we need to be relentless and ruthless with our motive to make sure that even in our suffering, it's not attention-seeking behavior. Mm -hmm. Because there there can be pats on the back that come from suffering. So Mm -hmm. demonstrating a true legitimate willingness to suffer for the glory of God is really, really important. Mm -hmm. And I think just demonstrating that in the small decisions and the big are are huge blessings to our children and then just helping them to process it too. Oh, someone, someone dropped you as a friend at school. Someone yelled at you in the grocery store. Uh, you got, you got let go at work. Let's talk about this. Let's process through this and how, uh, your bold stand for your convictions, um, will all ultimately be bring glory to God and you'll be blessed by them. Mm-hmm. That's good. I, th- I think that's really especially helpful if it's, you're suffering for the glory of God primarily, then it's good for them to suffer too for the glory of God. But if it's your suffering or putting your children through suffering for the glory of your name, yeah, they that's will gross. resent you for it. Yeah, and, that, that's gross. Yeah. I mean, we should be like, I'm going to gag yeah. when we see showboat Christians uh, trying to gain attention or national applause for it. You know, when you do something that's really out of the ordinary, you are going to... Um, get attention and you're going to get positive attention and negative attention. And that, that is necessary to bring about change. So you can't, you can't be so um, concerned about applause that you, you just hide all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's nothing wrong with influence, but we should all be grossed out. It should make our stomach churn. We should be embarrassed if we see it in our own lives. If we are, supposedly doing something for the glory of God, but really it's because we are attention seekers or we're looking for, uh, to fill a void in our own lives. that hasn't been filled in sort of the mundanities of ministry. 
Um, so it's, it's really important to, to know yourself and be ruthless in assessing your motives and asking yourself, why do I do what I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Two more points here. Uh, and why tyranny is, can be, there's a sunny side to tyranny. So what's your, your last two points here? Well, it, it forces us to define very clearly our source of ultimate authority. I, I think one of the areas of my own thinking that's just been fine tuned over the last couple of years is this whole notion of Christ's absolute supremacy over every sphere, every institution, every aspect of culture. Did I believe that before? Yes, I did believe that before, but I didn't have maybe the kind of clarity on it that I do now. And, you know, the, the reality is, is that if, um, if your toe is suffering, you're, you're, you know, you have pain in your toe, that's what you're going to be focusing on. You may be aware that it's important to have healthy fingers, but you're focusing on your toe. That's what you focus your attention on. When your arm is hurting and your toe feels great, then you're focusing on your arm. So we tend to put our attention on the areas of life where we're experiencing pain or we're being confronted or challenged. And even in our Christian preaching, if you're in a church where let's say they're really good at evangelism, but they're really terrible at prayer, well, you're probably not going to be doing 20 sermons a year on evangelism. You might be doing 20 a year on prayer. You tend to focus your energy on the deficits or the areas that need expansion. So I've always believed in the absolute sovereignty of God and his lordship over all of life. But now it's on my mind like every day. And it's very, very clear to me who needs to be the source of all authority in heaven and on earth. Sadly, we still have pastors and Christian leaders that don't seem to have clarity on this. You know, we, we have people that are bragging about how graciously they've responded to the government, how collaborative they've been with the government and complimenting other pastors for just taking, going the extra step to be gracious and a good testimony as they define it Mm -hmm. in the community. You're just patting yourself on the back because you're, you, if you're actually born again, you're going to be aware of how shameful your behavior has been. Mm-hmm. Godly people don't allow tyrants to get away with it. Godly people don't collaborate with lunatics who are forcing people out of work and to engage in um, health mandates that we know don't even work. Godly people stand for the supremacy of Christ. You don't help along the Looney Tunes and trash talk faithful Christians who have simply done what Christians throughout history have always known. We gather for worship. Mm -hmm. We visit the sick and the dying. We marry people. We greet each other with a holy kiss. We actually baptize people. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. These These aren't even debatable issues. Uh, but strangely, for the sake of this ideal of getting along with the state, many people are patting themselves in the back for taking the, the moral high road by directly violating multiple commandments in scripture. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the, we live in a culture where people are they're constantly in denial of reality. Um, we see this in the whole gender blender movement. 
Um, they're denying reality. We have people in high offices, potentially high office. We, you know, we referenced this nominee in the States. We're denying the reality of her biology, trying to pass it off to the experts. Only experts can know the great mysteries of human biology because she's playing a game. Mm. And um, if a person who's in a position of authority, like a judge is so obtuse, so ignorant, so woke that they can't even define something as basic as what a woman is. We're, we have a major problem in our, in Western civilization. And the wonderful thing about God is when you put him at the top of the heap and you say, actually he defines all these things and he's in charge. It brings blessing to the nation and clarity on all levels. Mm-hmm. It's good. Now you would even say, and this is tied into your final point that our, our, the, uh, the way we go through tyranny can actually be a witness to the world. Yes. I think tyranny and our opposition to it shows the world that we actually believe what we profess. And let me just add this, even if they don't like it, even if they don't like it. So when you have an official saying, please, please, please close your church, Pastor Rock. Or sending out the troops to find me repeatedly. Or you have the woke Windsor Star reporters here in Windsor writing one-sided articles about our behavior, our bad behavior. I acknowledge these people don't aren't necessarily going to like us, but there's one thing that's very clear. I actually believe what I say. Mm-hmm. And whether it blesses them now, 10 years from now, or just blesses other people, when you take a stand for Christ, that is part of your witness. That's part of your testimony. Many will hate us, but I actually think, and I mean, I mean this not in a self, uh, not in an attention-seeking way, but I think when Christians like you, like me, like our church, when other faithful churches take a stand and oppose tyranny, Many will hate us, but many are secretly very impressed by it. They're very impressed by it. It's like, I've heard people who don't know Christ thank me for being fined, whatever it was, a year and a half ago, um, even as recently as the last couple of months. Hmm. And I wouldn't have known what they thought about it before now. They're like, I'm glad you did what you did. I I have conversations with uh, people in stores. I had I had one this week. I won't say where, but I had one in a, uh, a, a business transaction this week where this young man who doesn't know Christ, best as I can tell, is very thankful for the stand we've taken. And so it's part of my witness. Someone might not agree with my position, but but only a very wicked, heinous person is going to try to put a spin on it to make me look bad. Um, we've also had people come to our church. that have never been to church before. It was super cool on Sunday. This couple called me over and introduced themselves to me. So if someone's new to your church and they, they call you over, you always think, well, there must be Christians from another church. And, you know, they're kind of in the know. This was a middle-aged couple. They told me they've never been to church in, check this out, in their entire lives before this Sunday. I was like, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. And they were blessed by it from everything I can tell. Um, that's not super uncommon these days for people to be in church that otherwise wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I think even one of my trucker buddies that I met in Ottawa is, is going to be here, I think this Sunday or next with his family. And so these are, these are points of contact that we've been able to make because we have, um, you know, been able to take a stand for Christ. And again, I'm not in any way, shape or form trying to put us up on a pedestal. We're just worms, you know, in the service of the King. We're in and of ourselves. We're, we're nothing, but the Lord uses human instruments to accomplish his purposes. And I'm thankful to be in that. So I, I just really want everyone to come away from this podcast, like encouraged. There's so many wonderful things that the Lord is teaching us through this. I know we're going to have moments, maybe days or weeks where it's like, ah, kind of feel a little bluesy, kind of down in the dumps, but that's the flesh, right? From the eyes of faith, there's so many wonderful things that are taking place to the point that I think if it all went away tomorrow, we'd probably miss it a little bit, Mm -hmm. not in a, some sadistic way, but we'd probably miss it a little bit because the Lord is doing a beautiful thing and we need to endure and persevere and be patient for as long as we can. Um, again, we, doesn't mean we like tyranny. Doesn't mean we support it. Doesn't mean we have to put up with it all. We can make wise decisions to extricate ourselves from challenging circumstances between you and the Lord. But don't don't try to insulate and comfort yourself to the point that you're you're um, not growing to the degree that you could. So if if our ultimate goal is Christ likeness, and you know if you make decision A, the best you're ever going to be is C you make decision B, you're going to go to an A plus in terms of your mm-hmm. <laughs> discipleship and followership. Why wouldn't you choose the the, the narrow, the narrower path? Mm-hmm. Well said. And I know firsthand we can say doing ministry in the church, how we've seen growth, spiritual growth and fruit. And so if you're not seeing it, you just need to get closer to the, where the action is. So get to the church <laughs> so yeah. get involved. Okay. We got one question from a listener before we go for the day. Uh, and so this listener is, I uh, want to just, first of all, say thank you, Aaron, for the show, how much they appreciate the podcast. Um, but their question is a practical one. Where, how can you go about buying gold in Canada and would it actually be wise? Because they're wondering, um, yeah, no, will precious metals be a, a, a good tool as things get worse in our country? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a neat question. Well, I was speaking to a financial advisor that I really respect, a godly Christian man recently. And I, I was sort of asking him because I'm like, people are asking me about these sorts of things. And his advice, and I think it makes a lot of sense, is don't put all your eggs in one basket. So if people are concerned about their wealth and losing their wealth, obviously you can't entirely ever protect yourself from being tyrannized or having it taken from you. And if you take a stand for Christ, you should expect that that might happen. But as much as possible, you don't want to give your the blessings of God to tyrants. And so I think what I'm um, hearing people advise is it's good to um, have some of your investments tied up in, uh, or your, your physical wealth tied up in property still. That's still a good investment. Uh, it's not bad to have some money in crypto. It's not bad to have some money in hard assets like silver and gold. And there's a good book if you want to uh, find a little bit more about gold and how gold works in culture. One of my sons recommended this to me. It's called Why Gold, Why Now? Uh, the War Against Your Wealth. And um, that's that's a book that's uh, worth um, you know checking out and uh, 
it's it's written by a guy named E B. Like, I don't know what his name is. Let's just say Edward Bob Tucker. So the war against your wealth and how to win it. So that would be a good one. Obviously, one of the big questions people have about gold and silver is, where do I put it? If I got to leave the country quick, you know, what are you going to do? Three wheelbarrows. So there are uh, organizations. I know there's one in the Cayman Islands, for example, where you can actually buy gold and store it in another country. I mean, you never physically set your fingers on it. Or you can drive to Toronto and have it shipped down there. And it, you can actually, I, I would imagine there's a fee involved, but you can actually store hard assets out of the country. Or people could have a security, have a safety deposit box at a bank if you trusted the banks or have it, um, you know, offsite at a secondary property or at a friend's place or whatever it might be. You probably want your husband or wife to know where it is. (laughs) (laughs) Bury it in the uh, backyard. (laughs) Bury it in the backyard. Um, So, uh, you know, I obviously I'm not a uh, quote unquote licensed financial advisor, but. And there's no sponsors, by the way. Yeah, there's there's no sponsors. sponsors. (laughs) You can send it all to my house. Just send me a private message and I'll give you my address. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But uh, the, I think there's some wisdom in that. I think there's some, but more broadly speaking, I would say to people, get out of debt. If you have debt, uh, become less reliant upon banks for mortgages, for example, private lenders, if you have to have money lent, uh, it'd be nice to see more Christians rally together, maybe provide private mortgages or private loans for godly people. I do know that's common in the Islamic community. We sold a house several years ago and the the young people that were buying it told us their mortgage is a private mortgage through the Islamic community. So they support each other in this mm-hmm. regard. And uh, that way they don't have to go through the banking system. So if you can borrow money, why not borrow it from someone that shares your faith and your values? If you can uh, offload debt, maybe downsize, uh, that's another wise thing for people to just become less encumbered in the system. Uh, you can also become less encumbered actually by enlarging your assets. So if you, if you, um, you know, you want a rural property, which may be more money than your city property, you could, you know, maybe a your brother, sister, someone that you trust, you can go in on a property together and your overall investment might be less. You know, it's not uncommon for most municipalities nowadays to allow for two separate houses or residences on one rural property. Um, these are things for uh, people to to think about, to wisely steward their, their wealth and, you know, to provide some protection. The, um, you know, if you have, maybe multiple properties in one country, it might be wise to sell some of them and have property, even if it's just blank land in the U S or whatever, that's just a way of holding your wealth. Keep in mind though, that if, if the state comes after you, there are some agreements between the Canadian government and the American government that, uh, they can, they could go to the U S and take your property there too. If you're being fined or charged, mm-hmm. I was talking to a lawyer about that recently. I can't recall the name of the law, but you know, I was just kind of posing the question. If someone feels that they're a target, what if they put a giant mortgage on their property and sent all their money to the U S and bought a, I don't know, 10, 20 acres just to park their money there. He says, well, you could do that, but they still have agreements where they can, they could, uh, force uh force the sale of that property in another country and, and get their pound of flesh from you mm. so we don't need to live in fear the 
all the money we have is stewarded to us by the Lord. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns every bar of gold or silver or crypto or property that you own. And uh, things can change. An investment that seems really awesome now might not be so awesome depending on the laws. They, they could just put, if they, if they knew everyone was just buying gold, they could just put some laws in place making that impossible, right? Mm -hmm. If they knew everyone was buying crypto, they could just put laws in place making that impossible. If they, if you, if they saw you parking all your money out of the country, I mean, they could make laws and make that, they could do that tomorrow. Yep. And we've seen it. They did with the Emergencies Act and all these other laws that are quite tyrannical. So make wise decisions. Um, you know, be careful who you talk to about your specific decisions, but uh, ultimately trust in the Lord that the Lord will protect you as he sees fit. And if if it is part of your call to lose everything you have to be a testimony for Christ, then you need to be prepared for that as well. Hmm. Well, thanks, Aaron. Appreciate you uh, sharing this podcast on the sunny side of tyranny. And hopefully it's been a blessing to our listeners. Please do share this podcast, get it out on social media. You can use social media for that. Make sure to follow us uh, and to, to rate the podcast as that all helps to get the word out further. And just a quick reminder as well that you can hear us on the CJXC radio as well as on the Fight, Laugh, Feast app. So if you haven't checked out those two, just type them to Google and you'll pop up different options there. For downloading the app or maybe type them to DuckDuckGo, I should say, <laughs> or whatever it is. Anyways, hopefully uh, you'll be able to tune in next week for another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.